Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And this week we are discussing Beethoven. So yeah, based on uh, the conversations we were having before we hit the record button, Ollie, you're feeling a little yeah. bit apathetic towards this one this week. Let's put it <laughs> fucking mildly. Oh, <laughs> this has been on your hit list for so long, and I was like, I'm just gonna, because you're my friend, I'll allow it. I'll invest some time into this and try my best. And I just like, I don't know why. It may have been like the time of day that I was watching it. Like I hurt my back over the weekend. Yeah, and that was irritating me a little bit. So there may be some like external factors to my viewing experience of this film that made me this way, but just like, nah, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> well, I'm glad you uh, committed at least a little bit of time and energy to this because it means a lot. Um, this movie was quite essential in my upbringing, so I did. It was one that I wanted to cover, and it was one that my mum wanted us to cover as well. Weirdly enough, mm. I see what you mean though, because the environment and the mood and the time of day and all of those external factors that you just mentioned, they really do make a difference to how you experience a movie when you rewatch it. Because I've been, you know, listening back to some of our previous episodes and some of the movies I gave a pass compared to some of the movies I didn't give a pass. I'm going to openly acknowledge this now to any of our listeners who maybe don't identify a whole bunch of consistency with how we rate the movies. But like, you know, I look back on, for example, The Mummy, which looking back on it now was definitely one of the stronger movies we've looked at. But I was in such a shit mood when I watched that movie (laughs) that I just did not have the patience for any of its bullshit, basically. When in reality, looking back on it now, it's probably one of the stronger movies that we've looked at. And I should have given yeah. it more of a fair shake. Well, I couldn't help but compare this movie to our episode on uh, Babe. Oh, yeah. And this movie makes Babe look like Citizen Kane, man. I think Babe makes Babe look like Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Babe being one of the greatest movies of all time is going to be the hill I die on. I'm fine with that. Um, I am committing to that idea. But yeah, so despite your um, apathy when it comes to this movie, I do think there is a fair amount to discuss with it. But before we get to that, I just want to give the uninitiated some background info about this podcast. So Ollie and I are old friends who decided to make a list of our favourite childhood movies so we can revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Some loose rules for our selection process. The movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence and we try to only select movies that we have not watched since that time so with that out of the way ollie why don't you tell us a little bit about beethoven so um released in 1992 yeah so this movie is more or less the same age as me 87 minute runtime which is always a bonus yeah i paused it after five minutes i was like how long have i got to endure this and i was like okay it's not too bad yeah 18 million budget which I thought was ridiculous. Yeah. Where do you think that all went? Dog food, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that one scene where they bring in like a ludicrous amount of kibble. Even for a St. Bernard of that size, it's still yeah. a ridiculous amount of food and they just basically spill all of it over the floor. Yeah. So yeah, probably dog food, both for the dog itself and for the sake of props, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it box officed 147 million. Oh, wow. So it made a fair whack of money. It's directed by Brian Levant and if you look at Brian's back catalogue of films his uh, filmography there's quite a lot in common 
with what they are. So the Flintstones, Snow Dogs, Are We mm. There Yet, The Spy Next Door, like all of these are um, trash. <laughs> well, yeah, but also like <laughs> they all have like a running theme of animals with human characteristics just like family fun movies and like anthropomorphic characters yeah yeah, yeah. he does like max 2 mm. i think the film's called max 2 white house hero and i think it's about <laughs> a, i think it's about a german <laughs> shepherd that saves america um but like they all have those those sorts of running themes but he obviously does it well because he's made a lot of this shit and he makes quite a lot of money so fair yeah. play to him he's cornered his own market yeah there you go and hats off it stars uh charles grodin and bonnie hunt and then a bunch of sprogs that no one cares about mm. um but it's also got for some reason like they've pushed the boat out and they've got oliver pratt and stanley tucci in there as these sort of yeah. half-assed villains yeah 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 and they're great yeah stanley tucci is low-key like one of my favorite actors i love him yeah 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 um anyway so it's got those people in it um, it also stars a dog called chris who is obviously the uh titular beethoven and also the finest performance in the movie i think exactly i yeah. i would wholeheartedly agree <laughs> and um what's interesting as well is like for some reason they decided to take their star man as it were and replace him <laughs> at various points for no apparent reason with horrible horrible prosthetic dogs yeah, 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 yeah these yeah, yeah, disgusting yeah. facial expressions that's like <laughs> nightmare fuel for children but yeah he's in it and he's great yeah and the dog's amazing and very pretty and very clever and um yeah. he carries the entire movie on his back absolutely absolutely yeah the cast is sort of um apart from like stanley tucci like you say the cast is basically fairly anonymous you've got uh, the guy who plays the dad forgot his name but he's basically budget steve martin yeah and bonnie hunt plays alice newton and she uh, is in jumanji she was the only other recognizable face for me mm-hmm. and actually i would say of the human performers she's probably the strongest but she's not given a whole lot to do either yeah but we'll get to that um so yeah, do you want to give me your back of the box synopsis for this movie? <laughs> okay, so I got a, just a confession to make right off the bat here. I haven't written my plot synopsis, <laughs> mainly because like, where the <laughs> fuck do you start? Um, but also because I just, I couldn't give it the time of day to write what happens in this film. So I've, I've basically written one sentence and it covers both the back of the box and my one line summary for it. Okay. Which is basically, there's a big dog in it. <laughs> okay well as much as i admire your commitment to completely phoning it in i am gonna (laughs) i am gonna attempt to sum up the plot just for our listeners who haven't seen the movie so i'm just gonna do this completely off the dome you've got no longer than 20 seconds to do it either otherwise you're gonna go down a rabbit hole that you're never gonna get out of so beethoven is a dog who gets captured by some dog kidnappers from a, a pet store he escapes in a car accident and makes his way to the Newton family home who immediately adopt him much to the father's displeasure. Uh, anyway, it turns out these dog nappers were hired by a comically evil veterinarian who is hoping to kidnap the animals to test experimental munitions on them. Yeah. And he's being paid by this company to do this. And yeah, basically he succeeds in kidnapping Beethoven again. Family goes to save the day and they adopt all the dogs at the end of the movie, basically. All the dogs that were captured by this evil vet are 
are adopted at the end of the movie. And that's the basic summary of it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can think of a one sentence synopsis. You did my job for me. I love it. <laughs> yeah, basically, you've been a busy boy. I've had fuck all on, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, one sentence plot synopsis. What can you say about this movie? I guess it's like a Bond villain walks into Homeward Bound. That's probably the best way of summing it up. Yeah. So, uh, well, we got there in the end. We got there in the end. So for those of you who haven't seen it, that is the basic plot summary. It is completely ludicrous. Well, the basic plot summary is there's a dog in it because the only things that matter really are when the dog is in it. Yeah, exactly. Everything else is just like weird convoluted padding that I'm I'm really excited to talk about. Well, um, why, Ollie, was this movie on the list for you? I know this was mainly my choice. I was pushing to watch this movie, but what is your general history with this movie? Um, well, it's actually quite similar. I used to watch this a lot when I was a kid and uh, the second one as well. Mm. I have a um, maybe even a better memory of like not in terms of plot but I just remember there being like a <laughs> St. Bernard love interest um, Beethoven gets himself like a, a mistress of some kind yeah and they have loads of puppies so they just like amp up the dog factor in the second one mm. but it made it made the list just because yeah it was a go-to when I was young mm. I probably watched this a lot when I was sort of five six seven years old and um, it's obviously 100% aimed at that demographic yeah 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 um, in terms of memory of it I remember the dad particularly and his all of his scenes because he's not a very good actor at all no looking back on it now but he you know there's plenty of close-ups on his exasperated facial expressions and they stuck quite heavily in my mind but i don't actually remember too much about what the dog does in this film Hmm. i remember there being a dog i remember liking the opening sequence with the puppy and the one probably vivid moment that i remember the most is the slow motion shaking of the mud in the crisp white bedroom yeah 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 that was one for me as well it was generally very similar for me and i actually think this is a perfect choice for this podcast because it is the kind of movie that everyone saw as a kid but then immediately forgot about like it didn't exactly stick around in the zeitgeist because it's not like your jurassic parks or your jumanji this does not have a lot of staying power but it is so unbelievably emblematic of the era in which it was produced like it Mm. is just the ultimate 90s family movie cliche yeah Uh, so i do think it is the perfect movie because it is the kind of movie that was very impactful on me as a kid but that i never revisited as an adult yeah the last time i probably watched this i was about seven years old i watched it a lot funnily enough though i only ever watched the german dubbed version oh god i want to see that well i'll tell you what the german voice actors better than the actual actors are they <laughs> yeah i definitely think so i definitely <laughs> think so um but yeah so i only watched it in german when i was a kid so watching it with the original actors voices was actually quite surreal i think i wanted a dog so badly when i was that age that this was my way of vicariously experiencing that thrill mm. i remember vague scenes so i remembered beethoven being dirty and shaking his fur in the bedroom like you said Mm. I remember the little girl almost drowning in the swimming pool and I remembered the main villain and in my notes I put being killed question mark by about (laughs) 70 syringes which is the most outrageous way to end a children's movie like basically you're 
like mad scientist veterinarian character literally at the end there's like for some reason a tray of syringes that are all upright they're all upright and they're all different sizes and shapes for no and reason colors and colors all yeah. different colors and like this car hits this tray and all all of the syringes fly towards him in perfect unison and plunge into his chest in yeah. a scene that is outrageously graphic so obviously that stuck in my mind and um probably fueled my fear of needles (laughs) but the main thing that stuck with me the one thing that always stuck with me throughout my life was the music so you know me i'm quite an anxious person i can be quite a manic person at times you've seen me on many an occasion when we lived together at uni running around trying to find something that i'd lost or trying Mm -hmm. to you know just get out of the house and grab all the shit that i needed and i'll tell you what it is really not uncommon at all for me to be running around and having a really manic moment and the Beethoven theme music will just be playing in my head. <laughs> I don't know why, it just like something just triggers that music in my head. So I'll just be running around like a maniac and it'll just be like, and I'm just like, <laughs> like a madman. <laughs> it's actually quite, it's quite a nice soundtrack though. I quite like the theme. Well, there's a reason it stuck with me so much. It's very evocative it's a very evocative soundtrack i mean there's some parts of the soundtrack that are very cheesy and very 90s Mm. but the main theme the main motif that goes throughout the movie which um is used in like a major way and a minor way so they're able to use it to create suspense and they're able to use it to create euphoria it is a really solid theme um so yeah that's the main thing that stuck with me and i would actually say that's probably a good segue into the things we enjoyed about the movie so why don't we actually do that why don't we start talking about the things that we liked about this film so obviously as i've just mentioned ollie um one of the positive things in the movie i think or one of the generally objectively effective things is the soundtrack i do think it's evocative i do think it's effective at creating different moods and it sort of always seems to come full circle back to this motif Um, what other things did you like about the movie? Is there anything that you can actually say you thought was objectively good about this movie? Um... I thought it was efficiently photographed. Okay. So, like, the cinematography, like, is about as utilitarian as it can get. Yeah. There's no art, really, to the cinematography. I quite like the the dog POV that they use quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but, again, that's only there, not for an artistic reason, but it's a utilitarian one. It's like, oh, we've got to try and get a wide shot of this dog moving in a certain way mm. with this human character. It'd be a lot easier if we just personify the camera uh, and they yeah. talk to the camera because then we don't need the dog to do anything. Like, I think it was very efficient filmmaking um, with no creative or artistic flair pretty much whatsoever, but it gets the job done. So I guess you can give them credit for that. It's actually interesting that you should mention that because... um, Yes, you're completely right. And obviously, whenever they show things from Beethoven's perspective, it is just a camera. But it wasn't until you mentioned it then that I actually had that thought. You're right, that was effectively done because I literally didn't even think about that for a second. I was like, I'm seeing this world through the eyes of a dog. <laughs> like, you know? So yeah, that was that was effective. And I actually think um, that can segue into a little point that I think we can both agree upon, which is any scene with the dog is pretty great. Yeah, other than when he's replaced with a horrible puppet. Yes, yes, obviously that's not great but like any scene with the actual live action dog and when you adopt the dog's perspective i think is quite fun and quite charming so i love the idea of the dog having his own special day out every day because what happens is they lock him up in his cage and he has this secret little hole that he digs out okay pump the pump the brakes yeah 
secret little hole. It's a hole. <laughs> it's a hole under the fence next to his dog kennel, which for some for some reason the family can't see until halfway through the film. No, no, no. Give this dog a bit more credit. <laughs> Give this dog a bone, man. <laughs> I think yes. Throw this dog a bone because I think that there is an implication that this dog is being deliberately surreptitious about this hole. He, he waits until uh, George Newton's back is turned every day before going through this hole, and it is it's, it's his secret little hole. And then he goes out and he just sort of wonders the town. There's sort of an implication that he does this every day. It's like a routine, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a routine. And like he he gets fed ice cream, and all the locals love this dog. He's like insanely popular. And I just really like this idea of this dog just being like, right, you guys are having your day. You're going to work. You're going to school. I'm going to go and do my dog thing now. I'm mm. going to go do dog things. And that was really charming. And like it is, yeah. Whenever the real dog is on screen and is doing anything, it just makes me go. I just want a massive Saint Bernard to just hug and wingman me. <laughs> I guess because there's this scene where he's like there's the daughter who's called Rice for some reason side note <laughs> side, side note side note <laughs> the, I'm glad you noticed that the, the, yeah the makers of this movie uh, or the parents of these children if we're going within the universe of the movie itself the parents of these children really missed the trick by not naming their middle child Beans because then you could have Rice and Beans and that would just be incredible no no you do you do first child Rice yeah middle child Anne yeah yeah, yeah. A youngest child, rice. So, uh, youngest child, beans. So it's rice and beans. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oldest child, rice. Middle child, Anne. <laughs> youngest child, rice. <laughs> rice and rice. <laughs> Uh, can you imagine like they just the way they name the dog in the film is they they put them in like names in a hat don't they and it's all that's how they name their children they're just like in their kitchen it's like right we've got <laughs> we've got to name these fucking children like i don't want to call them something normal like laura or whatever um come on let's let's think of some names and they're just like i could just imagine them just like writing shit down that's in their immediate vicinity so they're just sitting in the kitchen like spoon no that doesn't work uh ladle no oh there's some Oh, packet of packet of long grain over there. And right next to it, oh what's that? <laughs> packet of pilau. Packet of pilau. <laughs> like nah, but like let's okay, let's stick with this for a second. First child rice, second child pudding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, oh, going, my head. going back to the thread that I picked up, so there's a scene where Rice is like um, pining over this boy, this sweaty, topless child <laughs> called Mark. So she's pining over this kid who's like a basketball player who is being fetishized by this camera, <laughs> like, even though he's like 12. So she's pining over this boy and she clearly fancies him a lot. And then Beethoven meets her after school and then uh, essentially wingmans her because yeah. he basically he goes over to Mark with a stick. Mark's like oh who's this dog and he's got a stick and then basically tries to grab the stick from Beethoven but Beethoven instead of giving him the stick leads him by the hand to, to Rice yeah. so they can have a conversation about how cool the dog is a 14 second conversation yeah it's like cool dog hey is this your dog yeah is this your dog yeah cool thanks bye see you later Rice and then she's like <laughs> he knows my name he knows my stupid name because why wouldn't he know my name because it's fucking stupid yeah, and nobody's ever fuck, called you're gonna this. fucking remember Rice aren't you <laughs> yeah 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 oh god 
god. Anyway, so yeah, I like the stuff with the dog. I think his antics are silly and not at all believable, but they are charming. And I like how, so he escapes from the pet store with his Jack Russell friend. And I think there's an implication. His Jack Russell friend is like a stray dog at this point. Um, there's an implication that he goes and steals food from like a bakery or gets given food from a bakery. And every day he goes to meet his Jack Russell friend in like an alley and they share like a pastry or whatever. Mm. And like, you know, he gets home from his big day out, grabs a cookie from the plate, goes back through his secret hole. It's great. It's, it's great <laughs> stuff. But uh, yeah, so the music and the dog stuff was fun. Did you have anything else on your list of things that you enjoyed about this movie? No, I did not. Okay, well, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was a quick section, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> shall we just uh, move on to talk about the bad stuff about this movie? Yes. Yes, please. What's his name? Okay, Ollie, so I'm going to hold my hands up and say, yes, this is a bad movie. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't entertained by it. I do think it slips into so bad it's entertaining territory mm-hmm. at points. And I will cover that at some point down the line, I'm sure. But why don't you tell me what you did not enjoy about this movie? The main thing, I, I'm going to just like, I suppose, ask you the question, really. Like, talk to me about the screenplay of this film, man. Like, yeah. what is going on in this film? Because in my mind, right, you're relatively cynical, but fair enough. You want to make a family-friendly movie. The easiest way to do that is to have a dog or an animal of some kind. And if you can make it a cute, yeah. fluffy puppy turns into a, a huge, adorable St. Bernard, then great. Like, that is a good way of guaranteeing success. The problem with this film is like the platform that that cynicism is built upon is so flimsy and so peculiar that it's almost like a detachment. I remember you saying, um, and you'll go into this shortly, like it's sort of like two films stuck together. And I think that that's how it's stuck together. It's got this sort of like cynical attempt at appealing to children by having a dog. And then the platform that that's mounted on is really odd and contradictory and strange and that doesn't quite Mm. work. Like, I feel that this film needed to amp up, like, the dog factor more than it did. And what ends up happening is it gives way for these, like, ludicrous subplots that have no... (laughs) that are just, like, nonsensical. They're completely nonsensical. Um, So I think the best thing to do would just be to, like, pick these different plot points and maybe break them down a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. And I think you're right in saying, yes, it is basically two movies mashed together in completely senseless ways. And it sort of reminds me, I said the main actor who plays the dad reminds me of like a budget Steve Martin. He's like Steve Martin, but with none of the charm. And the main role I feel like it's reminiscent of is Steve Martin in Father of the Bride, uh, which would be another movie for the list, actually, I think. Mm -hmm. But if you've ever seen Father of the Bride, from what I can remember of it, the whole idea of it is... Steve Martin's little girl is getting married. He's being a big grouch about it and he's basically ruining everyone's fun. He's basically that dynamic family versus Steve Martin, but Mm -hmm. instead of it being about a dog, it's about this wedding. And that's enough. You could just literally have, this is movie about dad who does not want a dog and who eventually through whatever dog related shenanigans falls in love with the dog yeah right that's enough but for some reason they didn't trust that that would be enough so what you've got is family friendly dog movie dad doesn't like dog etc and then it's mashed up with bond villain-esque machiavellian (laughs) nazi vet scheming (laughs) like it's really really weird that was the working title of this movie nazi vet scheming yeah yeah literally it's like you've got this vet and he is so absurdly villainous like so to the point of 
it just being a caricature. So the first time you see this villain, you just see these two little henchmen just like mucking about and being silly henchmen. And then suddenly this deeply evil looking man is stood on like this walkway. Yeah, backlit. He looks like fucking Darth Vader. Yeah, literally. Backlit, smoke. Yeah, he, he's just insanely evil. And the first like, they're like, what is the most evil? evil thing this man could possibly say for his first line of dialogue in this movie and he just says i need puppies yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> and it's just like already it's just like this guy is hilariously cartoonish but um were there any specific things that jumped out to you about the screenplay that was really like noticeable well like why are there the henchmen in it at all yeah we open with the henchmen stealing dogs from the pet shop yeah and they're sort of um home alone villains aren't they a little bit yeah like buffoons and you expect them to be the lead villains of the thing but then they just fade into obscurity until the last 10 minutes of the film effectively yeah Uh, and it's replaced by this yeah like you said this nazi vet and I don't understand why that was the case, like why there needed to be yeah. those two types of villain in the film. I mean, I, I don't even agree that they should be in it. I like your idea of it yeah. just being dad versus dog. That's a good yeah. dynamic there. Mm. And I just don't understand why there are these buffoon henchmen played by actually very good comic actors um, who don't do hardly anything. And it's replaced very quickly by this like vet character. Yeah. Who's very intense. Very intense and, and like unnecessarily frightening, I think, for the for the tone of the film. Yeah. It's just ludicrous. Yeah. Like thinking about the motivations. So let's break down the motivations for this vet, right? Let's just talk about this vet for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's a local vet and he obviously wants to make some money on the side, right? Yeah, because being a vet, not well paying enough, you know. And they make a very good point of him driving around in a very nice Porsche sports car. He's clearly not poor, <laughs> yeah. is he? He's just doing it for the shits and giggles, apparently. Yeah. But he gets dogs nicked from the pet shop by these two henchmen. He's taking them because he wants to experiment with drugs on them and also in a strange twist of fate wants to test out ammunition for revolvers on dogs right yeah so he has a he has a meeting with a munitions company like an ammunition company faceless munitions company man who turns up yeah and i wrote down the line because it is ludicrous i wrote down the dialogue line so it's like we've developed a new type of ammunition it's hollow point ammo isn't it yeah yeah literally like this new type of ammunition that already exists but it's like (laughs) we've, (laughs) we've developed a new type of ammunition it explodes on contact we want to know the extent of the damage at close range i presume you can get dogs with big skulls for the test so it's like that's the whole it's so it's so outrageous it is outrageous and think of that right you're at the in the boardroom of your munitions company like meeting monthly meeting and they're like right boys we found this new uh we got this new technology that we think is going to get us a leg up on the old competition. Bullets that explode on impact. And you get like, you know, clever Trevor over in the corner, raises his hand and he's like, sir, I think that already exists. I think it's called hollow point ammo. And they just like, you know, like in a hilarious sort of Austin Powers way, just like evacuate him from the room. Maybe his chair like fires him through the roof. And they're like, oh no, no, we've got this new ammunition that we need to test out. And then you've got like, you know, the guy, the, the guy who's only got into the position in the company through nepotism is like, why don't we test it on dogs? Yeah, and everyone yeah. goes, oh yeah, very good. Well done. Yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the way they do that, the way that you get the dogs is not that you're a billion dollar munitions contractor that means you can just buy the animals yourself for basically yeah. no money. What you have to do is do it very clandestine and go to a small town vet and ask him to kidnap animals to test on. And it can't just be any animals, it has to be a large animal with a big skull. That's very important. The animals that they're kidnapping have to be as cute as possible because any other Correct. alternative would simply 
technically not be evil enough. Correct. Like, you know. What I love about it as well is like, there's no like quality control to this experimentation. Literally, they get Beethoven, don't they, at the end, the villains. Yeah. They take him to a warehouse and they just get him out of the cage, sit him on the ground and he's just, just going to shoot him in the head. <laughs> yeah, it's not literally. like, it's not like a firing range or any sort of like quality assurance or quality control. It's just like, shoot him in the fucking head. That is how we experiment. How do you report back on that as well? It's like, oh mate, I fucking shot that dog in the head. It went everywhere. His head fucking blew up like a watermelon. I'll tell you, that ammo is effective. And then they're like, oh, thanks. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's just very incongruous and really ridiculous, but it is also admittedly funny and not intentionally funny, but I was just like laughing at how ridiculous it was Mm. and it did keep me entertained. But I want to segue from that. This is still sticking with the script a little bit, but I want to segue from that to say that when the movie was attempting to be funny, because obviously it's trying to be a family comedy as well as whatever the fuck that is, when it attempts to be funny, it is cringeworthily bad. Like, really bad. And there's one scene in particular that sticks out to me quite badly in that regard. Basically, so... The parents are in bed. Oh, Christ. And then the wife gets up and then Beethoven sneaks into the bed and the dad continues the conversation thinking that Beethoven is the wife. And then Beethoven starts licking the dad's ear and the dad starts becoming sexually aroused by Beethoven licking his ear. And I wrote in my notes, I was like, oh God, please tell me this is not happening. Yeah. Please tell me George isn't getting turned on by the dog. And then... Well, no, please tell me that George isn't getting sexually assaulted by the animal. Yeah. Because that's effectively what's happening. There's no consent involved in that whatsoever. Yeah, this dog crossed the fucking line, to be frank. Like, he comes into this man's (laughs) life, tears it to shreds, leaves paw prints all over everything, and And then then has the... Tries to have sex with him. Yeah, has the gall to sexually assault him in his own bed. And it's like... But the worst thing is, the worst thing is when the dog is like, I wrote that down, I wrote that note, and the dog's like licking him and he's getting aroused by it. And then he says the line, and oh God, my soul nearly left my body when he said this line. But he said, has daddy's little girl been naughty tonight? Oh Christ, yeah. And I was just like, oh God, I hate it here. I absolutely hate it here. Um, Yeah, and so anytime the movie's actually trying to be funny, it doesn't work. And I think that's down to the script as well as the performances, I reckon. The scene that made me feel like that, is the naming of the dog scene yeah where the youngest i'm just gonna call her beans i don't even know her name but i like let's call her beans yeah she wants to call the dog i'm assuming because it's never they never say the word but she writes down on her piece of paper that she wants to call the dog penis yeah it's implied that she calls the dog penis yeah because he has one that's her justification for it so we have that joke that you have to decipher because they're not allowed to say penis in a kid's movie. Yeah. So you have to try and decipher that one. And then that's followed up again by another joke where they're not allowed to say the punchline, where the dad wants to call it something offensive. It's asshole, I think, probably. Is it? Okay, yeah. And again, like, obviously they can't say that, but it's there. So why even have it in the fucking film to begin with? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I also like the fact that they wanted to call it MC Hammer at one point. I think that was put in there. That's a great name for a dog. <laughs> that's a slumming name for a dog. Like, you know? Because then you could train it. In fact, I'm going to do this when I get a dog now, I've decided. But you could train it to stop at hammer time, you know? (laughs) You could just be like, if you want the dog to heal or to stop, you just go, stop. And then when you want him to move again, you say, hammer time. And then he goes... (laughs) Mate, amazing. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing that in the future. Yeah, write it down. Write it down. Um, but yeah, so like, that was another bad example of joke writing there. But can we, let, let's go back to uh, another plot point and talk about how terrible that is. Um, why is the dad, what is the payoff for the dad being the head of an air freshener company? Why is it an air freshener company? I, it just has to be something. 
I guess. The only thing that I can think of that is a reason for it being an air freshener company is so they can use that hilarious logo, which is a giant nose. Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually, I think you might be right. I think that might be the reason because there's that one moment where there's the giant nose on the building and one <laughs> there's a guy cleaning the nose with like yeah. a, a cloth and it yeah. looks like he's blowing the nose and it's, you know, hilarious. Maybe it's just an excuse for really bad prop comedy. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second part of this other plot point is, who are those two, like, modern people, young modern couple, who are trying to take over the business? What is their motivation for doing so? And what is their general get-up? Like, what is the point of them? Well, I think this will probably segue into a point that I want to make about one of my main issues with the movie. But what I think is they're meant to represent the antithesis of the family man. So the whole one of the big conflicts in the movie is that George is too into his career and he doesn't spend enough time with his family and they represent what it means to be too aspirational. They're the extreme end of the spectrum that he's sort of aiming towards and so they're being placed in direct opposition to the family and I think it's basically like they're the young, professional, slick couple who hate children and are obsessed with money and they're meant to be a counterpoint to that basically. But they're trying to... F- lease him for money aren't they yeah i don't understand it's not made very clear they want to buy out there's that whole thing about their contract and like trying to get him to sign it quickly and yeah not read over it properly well they want to buy out his business but i think it's something like it's not made very clear is it it's not made very clear no they are fucking him over but it's not made very clear how they're doing that the reason i'm asking you these facetious questions is because it's just evidence for the fact that this is just so poorly written yeah you could write it with so much more clarity and have so much more succinct to it yeah don't make them want to take over his business just make them the fucking neighbors who are nasty yeah right and they come around for a barbecue and they start taking the piss out of the dog for it being stupid and start being horrible to the kids behind the parents back and the dog is the only thing that notices and and you know lobs them over the fence or whatever the fuck happens there's no need for it to be them as trying to rob him of his role within his air freshener company like yeah. what the fuck is going on with that man yeah what does that mean it's completely superfluous yeah. just make them the neighbors just make yeah. them the neighbors who are nasty and different and your problem is solved. Yeah, but there's also something much more kind of cynical at play here, which is sort of explored through those characters as well. And that is the really problematic and troubling and bizarre messaging that this movie has about like working mothers and working Mm -hmm. women in general. So there's this theme throughout the movie where Alice, the mum, wants to get back into the company. She, She has some role in the company. I assume that she was the secretary because she's like... She acts as that when she is trying to schmooze those people. Yeah. Like a PA. So the, again, the implication is that like she's married the head of a company and there's a deeply unsettling like power dynamic going on there as well, right? That she yeah. was the PA to him beforehand. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. But anyway, so she's having this debate with herself about whether to get back into the working world. And I think there's an implication that she's reluctant to do so, but the dad, George, really wants her to sort of partner up with him again uh, because he, he cares about the success of his business. And there's this sort of... The movie establishes this juxtaposition between the mum and this business lady, this David Duchovny's partner who hates kids and is like blah blah blah. And has short hair. And has short hair and wears <laughs> and wears trousers. <laughs> <laughs> Wears a pantsuit or whatever you call it. <laughs> but like, yeah, so what the movie's basically saying is it's a bad idea 
for this mother to go back into work because she should be focusing on her children. And aren't women mm. that focus on their careers horrible? Look at this yeah. woman. Isn't she horrible? Look at how she's treating the children. Look at how dismissive she's being of Alice. Look at how um, manipulative she is. So it's creating this like contrast between like the good, wholesome housewife image, essentially, yeah. like the traditional housewife and the selfish working woman stereotype. Yeah, it's, it's not just that stereotype either, is it? Because on that side of the spectrum, yeah, you have the young, cutthroat professional woman yeah trouser woman and then on the other other side of the spectrum you have the old senile nanny who is like useless at her job so the implication is like you can't rely on any other type of woman than the white middle class blonde who cuts the roses in front of the white picket fence yeah exactly and the movie time and time again really hammers home this point that the ethical decision for her to make is to be a stay-at-home mum yeah. and to do anything else would be irresponsible yeah and actually every woman who has a job in the movie is portrayed as being irresponsible yeah, and true. negative so even like the very first time you meet beethoven he's picked up by it like a biker lady yeah i think she says she owns a junkyard and she needs like a guard dog so she's a working woman who needs a dog and then basically in response to this beethoven just pisses all over her and then <laughs> you've got trouser lady who's just portrayed as just like a sociopath essentially yeah and then you've got like yeah like you said the nanny the babysitter who looks after them and is so negligent that one of the the little girl almost drowns in her pool beans yeah beans almost beans drowns. nearly drowns <laughs> beans nearly drowns in her pool but the movie explicitly says this in the script so after beans nearly drowns the mum alice is like i'm not re-entering the workforce if i'd have been home emily wouldn't have fallen into the pool mm. and like i think the babysitter after beans falls into the pool she's like what these children need is a little discipline and then yeah. the mum is like what these children need is their mother as though her being a good mother and her being a career-minded woman are incompatible yeah exactly completely incompatible concepts so basically the fundamental messaging of the movie is good women have kids nasty women have careers yeah there's so many jokes or so many throwaway lines of dialogue which are basically saying wives working am i right yeah that was the aspect of the movie that aged the most poorly it really has this very strangely conservative patriarchal nuclear family ideology behind it yeah it sucked it really sucked yeah it's so outdated um it's almost like laughable yeah you know they've literally got like two and a half kids two cars on the drive mum stays at home looks after their nice suburban house with the white picket fence and the dog that's the image of the middle class american dream isn't it and it's just like not even played up for laughs it's just played absolutely dead straight yeah and everything that isn't that is scorned upon and shunned it's like yeah this model of the family is seen as aspirational and also not only aspirational but it's the only one that works like any other lifestyle is incompatible yeah any other lifestyle choice is just depicted as being particularly negative or, or daft in some way yeah and it, and it also falls into that trap of similar movies from this era it's like totally normalizes the dad needing to be tiptoed around yeah you know like the dad he's a wanker He's just an yeah. absolute arsehole. And it's that similar thing that we mentioned in Babe, where the father figure character, the only emotion he seems comfortable expressing is anger. Yeah. I think that's a really toxic thing that I'm noticing a little bit more in these movies that we're covering is like the strong, stern, angry dad. But oh, he's just, he's, that's just dad. You know, that's just what dad's like. And I, I think that's a really unhealthy idea to perpetrate, you know? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah, so did you have anything else specific that you really wanted to talk about in regards to what you didn't enjoy? Um, I don't think so. I think we're good. Okay, cool. I don't think I've got anything else either. I'm just going to say, as a side note, doesn't really need to be mentioned, but yeah, the acting's bad. Other than the dog. Other than the dog, the acting is bad. But yeah, shall we move on to discuss the things we would change about the movie? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, the dog's name will be... Well, I don't think words for parts of the body make really very good names. Okay, Ollie, so I think we kind of mentioned some of the things that we'd change about the movie a little bit earlier on in the episode, but uh, what are the main changes you would make to improve this movie? Just streamline the fucking thing, to be honest. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need those ludicrous um, plot points that we've just spent time deconstructing. I think that it would work perfectly well in... Well, there's two iterations that we sort of discussed, wasn't there? The main one that I think that I agree with the most is the one that you suggested, which was make it dad versus dog versus family. Yeah. And just have it all centred in the home and just, like, dog shenanigans. This is what ludicrous dog ownership looks like, particularly from the perspective of someone who doesn't like dogs and then you know something happens in the narrative i don't know it could be the girl nearly drowns girl nearly drowns in the pool and gets saved by the dog or like gradually over the course of the film the dog does more and more stuff that makes the family's lives better the other option was the like the home invasion thing Mm. where it's like instead of macaulay culkin you have a saint bernard who fights off some burglars because the family go Mm. on holiday and accidentally forget to take the dog with them um i think that would work in a similar way just have yeah shenanigans where you get the dog on screen doing funny stuff against buffoon villains yeah um, i'd keep stanley tucci and oliver pratt in and have them as the two burglars mm. who are outwitted by the dog okay cool i actually really like that i think that's a, a really nice way of reframing the movie my main changes would be similar like yeah make the movie pick a lane i think what would work would be the family friendly fun dog movie i mean we could maybe do a plague dog style evil veterinary great escape type movie uh that would be cool which would be fun and then you can focus on the relationship between between Beethoven and the Jack Russell a little bit more and you know mm-hmm. that could be quite cool but I think what would work best with this movie is yeah focus on the family fun aspect recast the dad because he's awful and just generally dislikable I'd actually say recast him as Steve Martin because if you're going to get budget Steve Martin just get Steve Martin yeah spend a few extra quid yeah and I also think I think you could have a thing where the dad resents the dog the dad doesn't like the dog and maybe something happens to the dog like it gets injured it gets you know attacked by another animal or something the dog's life is in jeopardy and the dad has this like really realization of that this dog has become a member of the family after all and in spite of himself realizes that he really loves the dog or you could do a similar thing to what you suggested with the home alone thing but rather than it being home invaders have it be like the family are sick of the dad being a grouch about this dog so the mum's like i'm taking off uh, to my sister's house i'm taking the kids and you're gonna spend quality time with this dog yeah. and then you get like scenes with the dog and the dad alone and it's through these scenes that the dad develops a closer bond to the dog and you could maybe include like a home invasion thing or you could include a dog napping or the dog going missing like the dad's resentment actually because obviously <laughs> as far as this movie's concerned this dog is hyper intelligent but the dog can sense the dad's resentment and so runs away and then the dad is just genuinely really torn up about it and goes on a a mission to find the dog again something like that Mm. but yeah pick a lane recast the dad and just punch up the script man cut the shit out like i feel that the script went through maybe like one and a half drafts before they just went oh fuck it let's just shoot this thing Yeah, yeah yeah because it's just so 
convoluted and weird and pointless. Yeah. Nearly every single scene, other than, you know what, the highlight of this movie is the montage of Beethoven growing up. And that is exactly what the whole movie should have been. That montage stretched nicely over 90 minutes. Well, yeah. What you want it to be is Father of the Bride meets Marley and Me. Yeah. Something along those lines. But yeah, I think we've... I think we've done it. I think that's actually a really nice reimagining of the movie. And I suppose the only thing left to ask is, do you think you need rose-tinted specs to enjoy this movie? Or do you think it holds up on its own merit? Yes, you need rose-tinted specs to enjoy this movie. Next question. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Yes, I would, I would have to agree with you. I had really fond memories of this movie. It was a pretty integral part of my childhood, actually. And it really didn't hold up upon revisiting mm. it. And that's not even in a tenuous way. That's not even in a, oh, I was in a bad mood when I watched this and I'll reevaluate it later kind of way. I was in a good mood when I watched this movie. I was relatively entertained when watching this movie. I wasn't necessarily bored um, because of how absurd it was, but it is a bad movie and it doesn't hold up to the warm memories that I have of it. Absolutely. And I think like, you know, it was entertaining for the purposes of this podcast, but outside yeah. of that, it would have been just abominable in every way. Yeah. And I think it's come it's come quite close off the back of Babe as well. Yeah. And it's kind of like, if you're going to do a cute family movie that centers around animals and explores some semi-dark themes, that's how you do it. 100%. And this movie just like falls at every hurdle that is thrown at. But I will not take anything away from the central performance of the dog because it's magnificent. It's a magnificent, noble beast. And I love it and I want it. And if anything, watching the movie, the one thing I can say to this movie's credit is that it made me want a dog a thousand percent more. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, cool. Well, that just about does it from us, I guess. Before we go, I just want to say thank you to Dilettante for letting us use their song My Dress as our theme tune. You can check them out online if you haven't already. But in the meantime, I have been Paddy. And I've been Ollie. And we have been Rose Tinted. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all next time. Before you go, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. Remember, you can also follow us on Instagram at Rose Tinted Movies. Thanks again for listening.